Hello and welcome to Little Live Story, the podcast where we take an anime and turn it into a movie. And a movie and turn it into an anime. I am Eric. And I'm Jared. Welcome, Jared. Welcome, welcome. I'm going to break the immersion for a second. What? Eric specifically said beforehand he has like a rote memory of doing the intro oh. every single time. So he wanted to change it up. but And yet I didn't. It, not only did you not change it up, you also changed it up too much. So it was like a weird in-between. What'd I do? I don't know. I wanted everyone to know what your thought process was, and now I'm here with them. Hi, people. <laughs> Fucking anyway. Anyway. Am I going first today or is it you? And Yeah, you're going first. Oh, goody. What a... Hit me. You're doing the one and only Kakiguri. As opposed to all the other things called that? Yes, as opposed to all the other ones. And for those that don't know, it translates to uh, Compulsive Gambler. Before we get into the plot, I just want to say I still don't really understand why you didn't like this anime. I mean, like, it's it's free from a lot of the normal normal anime horseshit, and it's a little more classy. It def- Are you kidding <laughs> me? But, but... The ending credits literally start with three whole seconds of titties bouncing into the camera. But we're not an anime review podcast, so you can tell me all about it privately, and those that actually want to hear Eric's opinions on it can hit him up on Twitter at your personal uh, Twitter FSD Eric. Yeah. Yeah. So hit him up there if you want to know. You'd, I have you'd, a lot to say. Yeah, you'd rant. Anyway. Fine. Do uh, do us the plot with big quotation marks. There exists a school where all the political elite from the entire world send their children. We're talking business magnates. We're talking presidents of the United States child, the elite. All of the kids go to this one school. I believe the hip kids call that the 0.1%. Yeah. And this school is like you'd expect it to be a very fancy one percenter school with like really expensive tutors that teach people things. But that's not the point. The point is this school has an after school activity, which is throughout the school gambling. And the school's purpose with the gambling is to teach the kids how to, in any situation, be able to control, quote unquote, the board, being able to outmaneuver their opponents, be able to outthink their opponents, and be able to out poker face their opponents. Wait, you're telling me that that was sanctioned? Yes. Because I was going, like, what? I was going to say that adults just don't fucking exist in this universe. It, it's So they're it's, just letting it, kids run rampant and bet hundreds of thousands of dollars on each other and rip fingernails off and all this weird shit. So this is okay and they don't, expected? Th- we don't see them actually say out loud, the adults are absolutely on board with this, but it basically goes without saying. Because it, it feels less like an after-school activity and more like kids breaking into the school or paying off janitors to be able to use the school after hours because after school activity is usually sanctioned and has yeah i think supervision I, of some i mean kind. when the class president is in charge of all the gambling and all the money goes to the class president and the, the elites i think the school knows i think they do this on purpose besides that's one of the reasons people send their kids to the school uh-huh much like every other anime that has one focus this has one focus this is a world run by gambling. Yes, it they is. They probably solve wars by gambling in this place. This is a lot like uh, Prince Vault of Tennis, tw- Vault Twenty One from oh. Fallout New Vegas. Sure. Yeah. I mean, all, f- all, all, all my Fallout fans. Hell yeah. Shut up, David. Thank you, David. So is that it? Yeah, that, 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 that's it. They okay. got the idea. Okay. Uh, the only thing I have to say before I begin, again, like you said, I will refrain from editorializing beyond the norm, but. The title, 
Mm-hmm. I obviously can't call it Kakagugu or what have you. It's Kakaguri, but close. My notes say Kakagugu. Well, that's not my fault. I know. <laughs> but I'm going to um, take the English translation, which is, as Com- you said, compulsive gambler, chop off one word. This is just compulsive because okay. I, I want to keep some part of the title. I don't just want to call it something completely different. I'm yeah. married to part of the title. The Japanese title will not work. Gambler sucks and compulsive gambler sucks. So compulsive is the best I got. Okay. And it fits with what I've done with it. Okay. Take us there. We open on a quiet suburban street. We get a few brief shots of a fairly rundown looking house that's just in the middle of this suburb. After maybe 10 seconds of moderate peace, SWAT team appears, kicks in the door, bursts in the windows, throws tear gas in, and we see them raiding the place. They make some unneighborly arrests, knock people through windows, break lamps. This place is clearly a drug den. Okay. And we get this for maybe a minute. There's no dialogue. We don't have any setup. We don't know what's going on. And one of the policemen that we're following or one of the faceless SWAT members that we're following kicks in one of the bedroom doors and we see a young woman, let's say 16, 17, like clearly a teenager, strung out on some kind of drugs on a bed. She's pale, has maybe a needle in her arm. I don't know how explicit we want to go for it, but this is going to be a fairly harsh movie in that sense. So the cop looks at her and then we cut to black. We get our title card, compulsive. Then we Fade in, and we see this same girl now looking way less strung out, still a little pale, a little wan, a little wafy, walking up the steps of a city apartment, like a big tenement-looking building, with one bag over her shoulder and a folder in her other hand. She stares at the building for a few uncertain seconds, then someone taps her on the shoulder, she jolts, looks, and we see her social worker. This is obviously our lead, I don't think I need to say it every single time. Yeah. And the social worker leads her inside, kind of a rehab center slash halfway house i was about to say halfway house yeah weird but yeah yeah you're right on the money and the social worker leads her around introduces her to a few side characters who are this place has a staff of a few orderlies a few janitors custodians whatever and then maybe a dozen or so not even that many but girls who are all addicts of some kind is it or recovering addicts so how big is this place it was an apartment block but it was it's been bought and renovated to look like one Okay. But the social worker leads her around and we get a bit of exposition about who this character is, a follow-up between what we saw her at the beginning and where she is now. She's post-juvie and post-rehab and this is her first step towards going back to normalcy and this and that. And she's had a few problems with violence. And we just get to know her a little bit through this and see her interact with her new, what will be her home temporarily. She's halfway home. (laughs) It just needed to happen. No, it didn't. Well, it did anyway. But the scene ends with our lead walking into what is her room, putting her stuff down, maybe putting out a picture frame or uh, putting a necklace or a locket that her mom or someone gave her. A few accoutrements, a few mementos from her life just around her room to personalize a little bit. And then she crashes. Does she have this room to herself? No. Okay. I assume that'll be addressed then. Mm Mm-hmm. Then we see the next day, and it's a quiet, slow, getting used to things mini montage of her walking around, cooking breakfast, getting used to her surroundings. And she has an addiction journal that she writes in at the beginning of every day and the end of every day, something her therapist prescribed. Yeah. And partway through the day, she comes into a rec room sort of thing and sees some of the girls playing dominoes, not stacking dominoes, the actual game. Oh, they're they're playing like the way you're supposed to play. Oh, okay. Yes. 
I can dig it. I'm a big fan of Mexican train dominoes myself, so. I remember Mexican train dominoes now that you mention it. Yeah, it's fun. That was fun. I don't remember how to play it, but I remember having I could, fun. I could reteach you. All right. But she asks about it and says like, oh, isn't this gambling sort of? And the, the girls are like, no, no, not if you don't gamble with it. It's just for fun. Just relax and Get a take- close up on her eyes as like she fumbles with poker chips in her pocket. <laughs> no, but the lead takes a step back, observes them as they play. We see her in a scene of county mandated therapy. She's talking to her therapist. And again, a little bit more exposition, a little bit more explanation about where she is, what she's doing. But other than that, it's nothing revelatory. It's just an introduction to the fact that she goes to therapy. Okay. In the next scene, she's asleep in her bed and she's awakened when her roommate, who's just one of the side characters, gets up, slips on her slippers and leaves. This isn't that uncommon because, you know, bathrooms exist. Yeah. But. But, you know, we are in a halfway house. Former druggy people. There's also a bathroom in their room. Ah. Like hospital style. Yeah. And she left the actual confines of their room. There is a uh, lights out policy too, like past, I don't know, 10 p.m. or something. They're not supposed to leave their rooms. You can't tell me what to do, mom. Yeah, government mom. Yeah, I'm going to play games all night. I'm going to do it. But our, our lead tries to ignore it, but after a few minutes, she starts hearing a light ruckus down the hall. Not commotion, but more than one person. So she slips on her own slippers, leaves the room, goes toward a light source around a corner, and sees a good handful, maybe six of the tenants, playing cards. They are indeed gambling. Fuck yeah. With mostly small stuff. They're, they're not allowed any contraband here, so it's pennies or Cheerios. Cute one flew over the cuckoo's nest stuff minus the cigarettes. Mm-hmm. Just menial stuff, but it's still stuff. gambling. And it's still stuff. Which is super not allowed. Yeah. And our lead gets a little nervous, intimidated something when she sees it, takes a step back, steps on a creaky floorboard or something. The rest turn, see her. Their eyes glow red as they stare deep into her soul. Sure. She starts nervously babbling about how she won't tell anyone or how she's just just, just looking for the bathroom or one of those things. And the girl amongst the other tenants who is the most prominent will call her, uh, we'll just call her Vegas because gambling. Okay. But she stands up and doesn't rush over, but hurries over to the lead to calm her down and assure her that this is nothing that weird. We do this almost every night. It's just how we blow off steam. Like some of the orderlies even know about it. It's no big deal nudge nudge trying to calm her down and get her to chill and our lead mm-hmm. not wanting any trouble especially because she just got here and some of these girls are kind of tough and i mean our lead's clearly a little bit of a tough chick herself but still but, she doesn't want to start shit yeah she's also still a little uh, rehabby so she's not in great shape yeah she's a little mousy and yeah, yeah exactly so our lead just makes a quick i won't tell anyone i promise to vegas and vegas says yeah yeah that, that's fine like taps her on the shoulders uh, yeah go back go back to bed it's cool the next morning while the lead's pouring herself a bowl of cereal or something Vegas pokes her on the back and she says, take a walk with me. I want to explain something to you. And Vegas takes our lead on a little tour V2 of what happened with the social worker, this Mm. time being a little more honest. Okay. And through a montage of them walking around with voiceover intercut with them actually having a dialogue scene, Vegas explains that almost every single thing that the girls are doing in this place is some form of gambling. I am on board. Because this is all they have. The contraband policies here are fucking super strict. There's room searches. There's metal detectors. There's all this stuff to make sure that you can't get any of the... Because this is specifically a substance abuse thing. Mm -hmm. So though they discourage gambling, it's not like you can't have poker chips or whatever. Yeah. As the primary example of how much the girls overthink and overdo this, she takes our lead in 
into, let's say, the library. And there's three girls sat in three different chairs. They're all reading the same book, which Vegas is narrating and pointing this out. Yeah. Each of them have a different number of pages gripped in their fingers. Eric, I I am loving this. This is exactly the kind of stuff that I was hoping we'd get. Really? Yeah, just keep going, keep going. But I love these complicated games. Huh. They are using those to signal the amount of whatever they're betting on. In this case, who can read to the end of this book fastest? And one girl is maybe holding 30 pages, and that's for 30 of whatever they're betting on later. Another's 50. And they're, they have a system on top of that to confirm it. Let's say, you know, you can't just look across the room and eyeball 30 pages, but they tap one, two, three, you know, one for each 10. So they have system after system to do this because they are a little bit obsessive because this is, as Vegas keeps putting it, all they have. Yeah. She's a little taken aback by the obsession at play, but whatever, she mostly just nods along with it as Vegas explains all this. More impressed than weirded out. Mm -hmm. But after this, we get a montage and a succession of a couple of scenes in the center of the movie where we see just life as it happens for a lead in this place. We see them doing the daily chores that they're assigned. We see therapy scene intercut with other scene intercut with therapy scene all intercut with nightly gambling and they play cards dominoes liars dice all manner of gambling games and some that are weird like we see them playing monopoly but there's real things being gambled so there's any opportunity they can we signify that this in the montage specifically that this is what our lead is well leaning on and preferring by having the scenes of the therapy and the normal menial stuff like the chores shot really boring and really monotonous like just single angle tripod shot of her doing the same thing cut back at the same angle cut back same angle whereas when we show the gambling it's like a moving angle there's a lot of cuts the colors pop a little bit more just to signify that that is when she's really alive, alive yeah. she's really enjoying that part of it and is getting into it interesting but during this montage we also just through a few little cues learn that vegas is a cheater our lead doesn't say anything because she's new and again doesn't yeah. want to start shit but our lead notices in let's say two different bits of the montage that vegas either like slips something up her sleeve or maybe has a different dice in her hand that she very quickly re-rolls or something like that. Mm. Just note note that our lead is noticing that. Okay. Honestly, not surprised a girl named Vegas is cheating. It's not a real name, damn it. Well, whatever. You know what I mean. If my screenwriter named the, that character Vegas, I would fire him. <laughs> anyway, by the end of this whole middle of the movie bit, our characters, including our lead, are having a nightly game of liar's dice, let's say, and they're just playing. It's having fun. But suddenly flashlight rounds the corner and it's one of the orderlies or security folks. Yeah. Busted, like everyone, hands up, hands on the table or what have you. And he's like, oh, what's going on here, folks? But Vegas stands up and the guy's like, hey, 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 sit, sit back down, sit back down. And she's like, no, 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 no. I just, let me just talk to you for five minutes. And then she says his name. He doesn't have a name bag, but she says his mm. name. He's like, okay. Walks out of the room with Vegas. Everyone is whispering quietly, like, what the fuck's going on? Are, are, are we screwed? Or should, should we run? Like, how, comes, how in trouble are we? back in holding a scissors covered in blood. Jesus, not that compulsive. I mean, you never know. Everyone's nervous, but Vegas walks back in, sans security orderly person, and says, we're good, we can finish the game, then we then we got a call for the night. Everyone's like, what the hell did you do? She like, no. sits down, just, come on, I think it was your, your bet. And then everyone's like, okay. Okay, roll. The next scene, we see our lead talking to her therapist, but our lead seems to be getting a little fed up with getting poked and prodded and shit. And we can assume some of this is because she's, well, acting out in her own way, which is the gambling. So she's not being as healthy as the therapist might want. So she's getting a little defensive about that. Anyway, 
Our therapist makes a statement about our lead's progress, let's say, and then our lead just makes a snide comment, says, oh, I'll bet you do. The, the therapist notes that. The therapist says, you say bet. Why, why would you say that? Oh, God. How did he pick up on that from just one word? Jesus. Body language and shit, too. Like, she, was and, make, and, she was making the rolling dice motion when she said bet. <laughs> As we've shown, our lead has slowly been getting a little less receptive to the yeah. therapy. So there are more than that. But that's the trigger point that makes the therapist ask a question. Yeah. And the therapist starts to ask follow-up questions of why you would say that. What's the word choice? Where's your head at? And the, our lead gets really defensive and essentially says, yeah, I have to sit here for the mandated one hour a week thing, but I don't have to fucking talk to you. So I'm not going to say anything more. Fuck you. Okay. That's really good for your health, girl. She's yeah. got a problem. I, no, no, I know. I'm just saying. She's here for a reason. After maybe one more scene of regular stuff, we see our lead go to bed and go to write in her addiction journal thingy. And after she's finished, she flips back a few pages and starts to realize maybe she has a gambling problem. Now it's literally staring her in the face. She's seeing that all of her thoughts recently have been in some way about that. So she has that moment of, shit, I traded meth or whatever it was for gambling, which is the exact opposite of what I wanted to do in the first place. I thought I was having fun. And none of this is sad. It's all just expressed very yeah. briefly through acting. But mm. we and her have the same realization that, fuck, this really is a problem. Whoops. So then she goes to bed and that night when Vegas or whoever comes and knocks on her door says, oh, it's time to play. She says, no, I think I'm just going to sit in and read tonight. I'm not feeling well. And they're like, you you do you. Mm -hmm. Then we get another brief succession of scenes of the next couple of days, which all play out the same way, which is normal during the day stuff. But she's starting to get side eye from Vegas and every night she's refusing to go play. And then one night they're all in the rec room watching TV or something right before lights out and Vegas says oh are you going to be playing with us tonight we haven't seen you in like a week now we, we really miss you you're one of our best I don't know blackjack players or something and it leads like no I I, I'm just not feeling it lately. And Vegas gets this look in her eye where she obviously understands that the lead is lying to her and isn't happy about it. Mm -hmm. But her face doesn't change, just her eyes. And they walk down the hallway and Vegas is explaining that, especially if you're, let's say, a career member of this place, as in someone who's here for the duration until you're let out, mm -hmm. we don't really want you to stop playing. Because we, we're, we're playing this to have fun, but we're also playing this for... Well, it's gambling, so there's uh, stuff on the line. And Basically, then, we want your stuff. And Lee's like, what the hell are you talking about? And then Vegas is like, the thing is, you lost a lot of games in your first couple of weeks here, and that was cool. Like, we comped you some of it, but most of that was predicated on you keep playing so we can, or so you can win it back, or so we can see how this is going. But since you haven't been, since you've accrued a bit of a debt and haven't been playing, we've taken certain steps to make this more fair for the people you've lost to. Or at least like, what the fuck are you talking about? Round the corner into the lead's room, and the roommate, or someone, assumedly, took all of her shit. Her side of the room is stripped. Oh, like, geez. her lampshade is gone. Jeez. Vegas taps her on the shoulder, says something like, maybe you should play with us, and you can have a chance to win some of your stuff back. Pats her on the head, walks away. Does she still have her bed? Yeah, they the, didn't bo go, like, the box spring. Oh, God. Took the mattress. We cut and we see our lead sitting in, 
I guess, box spring. I was going to say bed, but sitting up in bed that night, clearly having a mental debate, being really somewhere between upset and sad, and she doesn't know what to do. And she can hear them already down the hall having fun. Maybe they're being specifically obnoxious to egg her on. Because yeah. it seems either we dial it up in the sound design or they are, but it is definitely louder than usual. Mm-hmm. Our lead gets up, goes to the kitchen, opens one of the drawers, grabs a knife. Oh, God. Well, she's a tough chick. Yeah. And, you know, that's her shit. She wants her shit. Like yeah, her well, locket or whatever, whatever gonna, thing. This can only end badly. This is when you tell an adult. She pockets the knife or hides it behind her back or whatever and shows up to the gambling, gambling room. Yeah. Vegas immediately, again, understands that our lead is super pissed and not friendly, but she's doing that bully thing where she's like, pull up a seat. We missed you. It's yeah. so good you're here. Just being a complete bitch about it. Mm-hmm. And our lead's just staring at her, really deceiving, sits down right across or maybe two people away from Vegas. We get a close up of her hand on the knife. Like she's going to probably not stab her but pull it on her to be like give me my shit bitch yeah and then just as she pulls it out security guard right behind her grabs our lead's hand disarms her pats her down just under the guise of just oh a contraband check blah 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 like random search vegas is like thanks you know protecting and serving we really appreciate all your help we wouldn't want any of us having any contraband on us he just takes the knife goes to the kitchen locks it away then our lead is sat back down a little bit roughed up after that lead's like okay fucking fine I'll, I'll play your stupid game what are your terms I just want all of my shit back after that I don't care and Vegas is like oh honey the problem is you don't really have anything to buy in with like nothing I could want except she beats around the bush and then eventually leads up to why don't you stake yourself on it and I, she's like mm. I saw this one coming and she's literally like, what the hell does that mean and then Vegas is like whatever you think it means like uh, doesn't elaborate alright girl just go sleep in your box springs it's worth it nah Vegas does not elaborate and our lead doesn't push beyond one question She's just like, fine, I'm in. Oh, God. And then we have a 10-minute scene of gambling a la Casino Royale where for some reason our lead and Vegas are the lucky ones because everyone else slowly gets beaten out. I, I'm willing to bet Vegas set it up that way. Very possible. Yeah. She she can cheat for both of them. But so it ends up being the two of them, how dramatically. So they're both going to be down to essentially what will probably be the final hand. And Vegas starts to gloat. And as she does, our lead takes a moment to remind her that she's a cheater. I was thinking about that though she'd be better off cashing out she has a bunch of stuff she can trade back for her shit and pay off her debts she doesn't need this confrontation it's true but when she brings that up none of the other girls seemed to be aware of this at least not overtly because people are like cheating what's she talking about and vegas is like oh she's just shit talking because she's losing and she's nervous that she's gonna get owned the lead's like no 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 uh, very specifically in fact she just cites a few different instances mm. of vegas screwing everyone else out of things or you know just being a complete and utter cheat yeah and the mood of the room starts to turn on vegas as our lead just sits there and elaborates about what a dishonest jackass she is Mm. leading all the way to our lead implying that vegas has dirt on the orderly Huh. And the orderly is just who has actually been standing in the back of the room since he searched our lead yeah. listens quietly and our lead starts talking to the orderly indirectly. If only some orderly who some or who someone had dirt on would really just do us the, re- the rest of the place one favor, then we could just find whatever she had on uh, or on you and give it back to you. So you don't have to live in fear of someone exposing your secrets to the world, essentially saying, if you just detain her, we- we'll we'll help you out, bro. Mm hmm. 
There's that moment when our lead finishes explaining this. Tense silence. Vegas looks at the orderly. Orderly looks at her. Vegas starts to try and protest. And then the orderly charges her, grabs her, zip ties her, and starts bringing her off to like a um, detention room. Yeah. And she's bitching and screaming and protesting the whole time. But the room is victorious because... Oh, wait. I forgot to say, when the orderly does, let's say, detain Vegas, like uh, when, when yeah. her coat gets pulled off or when she's struggling or what have you, when she ha- is zip tied or detained, a, bu- a few aces or kings or whatever fly out of her sleeves. So just obvious cheating. Stuff. Yeah. Confirmation for mostly the audience that our lead wasn't just talking out her ass. She is indeed was indeed cheating this time, too, mm-hmm. which was Implied, but you gotta spell yeah. it out sometimes. Gotta make it obvious for people that weren't paying attention or just for confirmation. Yep. But so the lead in her roommate who soft apologizes for it, just kind of does the, it's a bitchy bitch world. This place is tough. She was highest in the pecking order. She told us to do it. Sorry. And our lead doesn't really say I forgive you, but doesn't not. Yeah. And they together go to Vegas's room and find an envelope of Polaroid photos that we don't see, but they do. And then they burn them or something, mm. something symbolic of getting rid of them officially. Yeah. And then we cut and it's sometime slightly later and our lead is in her room again. Her stuff's set up, but a lot of it is in boxes again. And she's filling out paperwork on a clipboard. Paperwork to be transferred to a new facility. Filling out their reasons why, which is, you know, unsafe environment for me or not good for my health, whatever. A bunch of clinical speak. Yeah. On the list of one of the pieces of paper at the bottom or something. And she's listing what her risk factors are, which is, you know, substance abuse, alcohol, tobacco, this, that. And then then gambling gambling. is not checked off, but long pause checks it off. There you go. Then we cut. The end. Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah. I was waiting for like the next section. No, no, no post credit scene. Anything you want to add? Um, do you want me to do my cast crew thing now Sh- or? It doesn't matter to me. Fair. Um, directed by either Jennifer Kent, who made The Babadook, which I'm sure you've heard of, right? I've heard the name. Yeah, it's a horror and movie from a couple of years ago. It's very good. And she made okay. a new movie that came out last year called The Nightingale, which is also really good. She's good at harsh female-centric stories that are layered with a lot of fucked up subtext and I think that would work or alternatively in a perfect world David Fincher who he directed Fight Club and Gone Girl uh Zodiac bunch of really good movies okay you don't know what Fight Club is I've I've heard of Fight Club never seen it yeah yeah, fair uh, our lead, it's a three-way tie. I didn't, no one really like super spoke to me, but either Maisie Williams, who's from Game of Thrones, she's tiny, but she she's fierce. Caitlin Deaver, who's in a movie that came out this year called Booksmart. She's the lead in that. She's very good. And I think she could probably pull it off. Or um, Amanda Stenberg, who is, um, she was actually Rue from Hunger Games. She's oh, just more yeah. grown up. So yeah, she, she's, she's, she's not a child anymore. Exactly. So I think she would work. And the villain Vegas, I yeah, think. Yeah, I was uh, going to ask about that. Jane Levy, who's again, one of my, I've cast her, I think, two other things because I just love <laughs> her so much. And she could really do that intense bitch thing. I liked it. I also like that you kept the gambling and how it was, in a way, sort of accepted, even though it wasn't. Really and, underground rules. Yeah, and that our main character was effectively the smartest person in the room because that's really important to the anime even though it's it's an overplayed trope mm-hmm. and I understand that's probably one of your problems but it is important that she is effectively the smartest person in the room in a room full of smart people well, though not in this case but still you get my specifically, point but yeah. you get my point mm-hmm. my initial idea that I almost went with was going to be um, 
honestly, it was going to be closer to the anime. It was going to be a school of 1% kids in like New England kind of thing and have it be almost dark skull and bonesy, like the world elites children doing fucked up shit and like gambling with the first bit would be gambling with money and then it would evolve like into gambling with human lives and stuff like not that. Not quite that overt, probably, but again, gambling with weird shit. Okay. Like gambling with their parents' cars or gambling with the stock trade involving their parents' company or even really weird underworld world elite shit. I, I would have... Uh, but I was like, this isn't a fucking anime. I'm not married to school stuff and yeah. so few American movies or pieces of media take place in schools. I still would have been very interested to see that because that would have been more in line with the anime, even though I have no problem with what you made. I like what you made. Yeah. I would have also been interested to see what that would have uh, shaped up to be because that is... That is more of an Americanized version of the anime more directly. Yeah, but... No, no, I, I, I understand your reason for changing. Yeah, I really wanted... Again, I had to keep the word compulsive, so I wanted to be true to it. So mm. addiction felt right to jump into. Yeah. So I wanted a group of characters who had an excuse to be gambling addicts without it just being their personality for no reason. Mm-hmm. So that, that just felt right. Makes sense. This episode of Low Live Story is brought to you, amazing listeners, by the lovely people of Prism Collaborative. Prism is a co-op for artists and creators looking to develop their own work while supporting others. Prism welcomes all artists regardless of location, background, or skill level. If you have been looking for a creative group to call your own while still owning your work, join Prism Collaborative. And full disclosure, Jared and I are both members of Prism, so you know they have the most rigid standards. Nah, but seriously, Prism is always accepting new members, so go to prismcollaborative.com to learn more. All right, I'm done translating my suffering into art. Are you ready? I am. What do you got for me today, Eric? Today, in honor of the release of The Irishman, we're oh. doing another Martin Scorsese picture. Okay. Goodfellas. Oh, I like that movie. Yeah, it is my third favorite movie of all time. Halloween was my fourth, so if you felt pressure then, I guess feel more pressure now. Ah, shit. For the very few out there who don't know, Goodfellas is a mostly autobiographical while still being fictionalized for the screen crime saga epic about three decades in the life of a mafia man. It's really no more complicated than that. We see from childhood to late middle age, the story of a man who always wanted to be a gangster and through neighborhood connections became one and just rose through the ranks, not even dramatically like Scarface, but rose through the ranks to become a member of the mafia and then had a terrible falling out with everyone and everything went to shit. It's the quintessential gangster movie without dipping into Godfather territory. Yeah. I like the fact that, and I've never been in the mafia, I don't know anyone in the mafia, and I cannot claim to know anything about the mafia, but it felt more realistic than a lot of other mafia movies. Yeah, you can really tell that people who had been in the mafia worked on the movie. Mm -hmm. Or at least it's based on a book written by the man. Yeah, but yeah, yeah, I understand. So that. All right. Hit me. We open to the black screen and narration. Ever since I was young, I always looked up to those guys. We now change to showing a bunch of, let's say three, white-suited men walking down the street. They were so cool, they could do whatever they wanted. Shows, like, a bunch of people walking past them, but giving them a really wide berth, like, giving them a lot of space as they walk down the center of the sidewalk. They could carry guns in public. That's big in Japan. Yeah, it's really big. They could rough someone up without the police being called on them. They could even get laws passed. They weren't just street toughs. They had class. They had a certain air about them that set them apart from everyone else. They were like modern-day samurai. 
we show the nice suited men now walking up to a really nice skyscraper with a young boy standing outside. And one of the men walk up to the young boy, ruffles his hair. Yep, literally, as you're indicating, ruffles his hair, uh, usher him inside. As soon as I first saw them, I always knew I wanted to be one of them. Training was really tough. What we were seeing before was sort of like snippets. Like we were seeing like a cut and then like a little bit of a video and then a cut. Now we're seeing like full video. Like we're getting full scenes. So I, even though I'm going to be narrating what sounds like snippets, it's going to be more sparsed out. Yeah, we're shorthanding it. Yeah. Between the sword training, him practicing against a wooden bamboo pole with a katana. And the errands they would occasionally send me on. Young boy running from one business to another, gathering slips of paper from various different business owners. We don't see what's on them, but he's just gathering them. It certainly wasn't easy to get in. Home life was a real challenge, too. Then show the young boy with his arms crossed, holding back tears as his father berates him. Like, he's not hitting him. He's just yelling his brains out at the young boy. And we see a mother in the back corner who's just sobbing to herself. The way I see it. Everyone takes a beating sometimes. <laughs> yeah, only he's not getting beat. Yeah, he's got it slightly easier. But by that point, my family was now the men I looked up to. My family were the Yakuza. We now show the young boy leaving his presumed house, getting into a really nice Toyota, and a couple of men leave the Toyota, enter the house, door closes. It didn't take long for me to gain some allies and to be entered into the Yakuza proper. We now see a young man being tailored into a nice suit, but we don't see the young man. He's mostly obscured by the tailor. No longer a ward, I am now part of the Yakuza proper. A man. A samurai. We now show the young man step out of the building, check his suit, fix his cuffs, like rub off some dirt, and we end the episode one. The main character dialogues about how he graduated from pushing papers, like passing papers along from different businesses, to now doing real jobs for the Yakuza. He is partnered up with one of his childhood friends that he made, one of the allies he made from when he was a kid, and he is sent on his first quote-unquote real mission to, let's just be honest, he's going to go racketeering. He's going to go rough up a business owner just a bit to get protection money. Oh yeah. They go there, they threaten the business owner, they break a few things, and after a lot of showmanship and a lot of we could beat you up a lot more than this, the business owner abdicates and gives him an envelope full of money. It's sort of implied he was supposed to pay them anyway, which is why he had the envelope of money. As usual. Yeah, but they were just making sure he actually paid. He then gets a call from his boss saying that a rival group not specified whether it's a different Yakuza or whether it's like the Russian mob trying to muscle in, but a rival group trying to muscle in to the racketeering business in their territory. They get into a car, him and his partner, and they run off to some strip mall area and they meet up with a couple other Yakuza and they go have a giant stare down with a bunch of almost equal number of other gang members. There's a lot of like, who's going to make the first move? And then they brawl. There's a lot of fists. There's a lot of bats. There's a, there's a lot of like people being beaten down but no deaths. Okay, yeah. I was yeah. gonna ask. So, more the outsiders or the warriors, less yeah, yeah, the more godfather. The, yeah, more the warriors. Mm -hmm. Like, there's no one's dying, but people- People like, are getting fucked Yeah, if you off. break a leg, it's no big deal, but just no no dying, no guns. Yeah, no, I was about to say, yeah, no, no guns. Yeah. I want to watch the warriors. <laughs> I mean, I'd be down. 
the main character's group wins, and they the group that lost kind of scampers off. They all pat each other on the back, and they say, good job, and he leaves to go report to his Yakuza boss. On his way there, he monologues about how the Yakuza is more like a serious business. Like, its headquarters can actually be found in a... Uh, I'm blanking on what the thing's called. Phone, phone book. book. Yeah. He's sort of hyping up like, yeah, they can even be found in the phone book. That's how little the cops can do about us. Because we have a real headquarters. It's not hidden. It's out in the open. He goes inside. He meets his boss who gives him a big pat in the back and says, congratulations. You, you made it through your first real fight. Like, you, you did a good job. And he even gives him a little bit of the money he made from the racketeering today to give to him. So did our lead, like, kick ass? or? Yeah, he, he did a good job. It wasn't like... It, it's clear that he was lagging behind his fellow brothers. Okay. Because, but... yeah, there, there were two ways it was going to go. There was either he is clearly the best fighter amongst them and is just wrecking shit, or he's the rookie who's a little green. Yeah, he's definitely the rookie who's a little green, but the group they were fighting were not uh, trained. Still the better of the two options. Yes. After he gets the money, he then goes on to explain how the Yakuza is set up as an organization. Now, I do not claim to know how the Yakuza really is run and a cursory internet search of how the yakuza is run is only gonna get me so far so yakuza members don't kill me but if you want to come on and talk about it and chop off jared's fingers yeah you don't do that but if you want to come like talk about it i'd love to learn because i like that kind of stuff anyway he explains how it's set up more like a family with the absolute head of the yakuza is the father and everyone below him is his sons we have uncles and like stepsons and other things like all the smaller yakuza within the yakuza are fathers of their own families but everyone's the son of someone until you reach the very top after he's done explaining that, his partner friend then says, hey, let's go party the night up. And he's like, hell yeah. They go do a bunch of things. They go barring, they go drinking, they go to whorehouses. They just basically do all the debauchery that you can think of. In Neon Splash Tokyo. Yes. And I assume this is modern day since you haven't said otherwise. So there is never a date given and the time period is very nebulous because as we'll show later they do have cell phones but they're very rarely used and things are definitely a little bit older and more classy so it's kind of a non-existent time period okay so 1990x or the the movie it follows which i keep bringing up on mic for some reason that kind of does that like it really feels and looks like the 80s and there's only like one cell phone type thing you see in the movie and it comes out of kind of nowhere but the rest of the movie is styled like the 80s it even has like the music is 80s yeah it's synth wave yeah yeah, it's a lot like that like where you can't really pin down the age because it kind of doesn't exist yeah whereas goodfellas was a hundred percent built as 50s 60s 70s 80s yeah including like the music running around the movies with you telling you when in time we are so interesting change okay the next uh couple of days is more of the same he gets up he goes with his partner they go racketeering they rough up some business owner he goes he gets praised by his boss they go whoring they repeat and they we get a lot of that like there's a lot of the same stuff until one day after he finishes let's say doing the racketeering and he gets his money from his boss before his friend asks him to go whoring that night he sees a high school girl walking down the street from presumably school because she's currently in school uniform. He's immediately like, you know what? I'm going to hit on her. Doesn't say that, but that's what he goes to do. Train spotting directed by Danny Boyle. He uses what he thinks are charms to hit on this girl because 
the most experience he's had with women so far are whorehouses, alehouses, and, you know, gang girls. So she outright rejects him, as one would expect. And then he just sort of stalkerishly walks with her towards her house, still trying to hit on her. Like, he's not being, like, problematic. She's not been, like, threatening to call the police on him yet. But he's just a little bit too pushy. Danger close to fuckboy territory, son. So they're walking down the street, and then eventually, three boys who think the same thing he did. This poor fucking girl. Yeah, I know. She's having a bad day. Uh, go up and do start doing very brutish tactics to try to get her to go with them. Like, way too close, way too aggressive. Like, even when she tries to leave at one point, they grab her wrist. Our main character walks in and fucking beats the shit out of them. Uh, now he is a fuckboy. He's just a fuckboy with style. Yeah, he's just a stylish fuckboy. Um, beats the shit out of them. She does look a little bit out of breath, like scared, but she's a little bit like, thank you. I do appreciate that. And he's like, so you want to go out? And she's like, no. He does manage to get her mail from her. Now, in Japan, I don't know why, and don't quote me on this, but instead of exchanging phone numbers, you exchange email addresses. Are you sure that isn't because a lot of anime you watch is from like 10 years ago and that was relevant? I can't say... That's why I said don't quote me on it, but, you know, it's an anime, so that's what I'm going for anyway. I mean, you already said it's kind of a nebulous time period, so that's an excuse, if nothing else. Yeah. Then he gets the call from his buddy, and they go out whoring again, except, well, this time he actually says no to the whores, and he seems much more on top of things and much more happy. How old is our lead? By this point, he's like... Early 20s? Yeah. Okay. And the female is some obviously somewhere in high school, nebulous age. Yep. Again, anime. Also, I swear to God, the word whoring has come up more in this episode of Little Live Story than any other time since probably the 1890s. I mean, what should I say? No, I'm, I mean, well, prostitution, but whoring is <laughs> such a weird fucking verb to use. I mean, it's appropriate. I guess. I, I don't know. I didn't think it was that outdated. It's very odd. Alas, I'll try something else. I'm not saying you can't. It'd just be like if we were doing a boxing anime and you're like, and then they exchange blows in the ring of pugilism. <laughs> what the fuck? Uh, okay, I'll take your word for it. I thought it was still a word people use, but I guess I'm not hip anymore. I don't think I ever was. You but... never were, and when would whoring be... Go on. Okay. Anyway, we get another set of couple days of more of the same, like, he goes out, racketeering, blah, 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 but he's slowly saying no to his friend more and more and hanging out with the girl more and more. And he's actually doing more normal things with her, like he at one point goes karaokeing, he goes to the arcade, he, he does more normal things that aren't just one of the sins. One of the cardinal sins. Christ. Fucking Puritan. <laughs> well, you know, never mind. Eventually, we see them at a very fancy, like, dinner place. Like, he's clearly paying out of pocket for some really fancy dinner with her. They walk outside. She's saying she had a lovely night. And then he does the anime trope of he moves her against the wall, puts his arm up over her shoulder, and then kisses her. I never understood how that's romantic, but, I mean, I'm not... I, I've been told it's because of the submissive nature of Japanese romance, so I'll just accept it. We see a traditional Japanese wedding with him in a nice tra traditional Japanese outfit and her walking up in, you know, same, and they're clearly getting married. That If you didn't figure that out. Yeah, thanks. Mazel tov. He goes on to explain that not only is he getting married to the love of his life, he also is managing to move up the ranks of the Yakuza, and he's getting more respected and even has a few underlings of his own. 
the wedding party commences. It's a big bash, and you know we have a lot of dancing. His partner slash best friend is also there as his best man. I don't claim to know Japanese weddings, so however I was about to say, do they, do they do that? I, honestly, I don't even know American weddings. <laughs> I honestly don't know. So whatever, however it's supposed to be set up, it's set up properly. We cut to later, and he is now quote unquote testing a new recruit to the yakuza. He's mostly egging him on he's basically having him sit on the floor while he just berates him he insults him his mother his family his family history his honor he just does whatever he can to make him lose his cool it's kind of like uh the way they trained um the people that used to do sit-ins during the 60s in america they trained for that yeah 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 because they knew that a lot of uh white supremacists and anti uh anti-abolitionists yeah well not abolitionists anti Pro separate, pro segregation, pro segregation people. Jesus um, Christ. Well, whatever. No, I just meant us. Yeah, like, I, I guess was pulling fair. fucking teeth. Pro segregation people would come in and yell at them or whatever, but they and, and even some of them might hit them and get away with it. But they were told, so, to just, yeah, did training for nonviolent resistance. Kind exactly. Of thing. Obviously, the recruit fails, throws a punch, the main character catches it, and then judo flips him over his shoulder, and then goes on to explain what is wrong about what he did. And he's like, if you're gonna attack someone, at least do it well wrecked after that we see him go home to his family to see his wife and she's now with a child which she's carrying do you mean with child in the old school sense like she's pregnant and carrying it in her no 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 she's holding it okay in her arms okay though it was specious wording (laughs) yeah i guess that's fair he then goes on to narrate and explain how he has things going great for him right now not only does he have a loving wife and a son he also has a really big score coming along the way The biggest in his career. And then he says, but unfortunately, fate can be a fickle mistress. And boy, did she have something in store for me. Her name was Akko, and she was the most beautiful woman I'd ever lay his eyes on. Can I, I'm going to redo that. And she was the most beautiful woman I had ever lays up. Oh my fucking God, the same thing. What the hell? That was awesome. And she was the most beautiful woman I had ever laid eyes on. Did it. Fuck yeah. Kinda. Well, whatever. It was coherent. Enough. (laughs) Don't make fun of me. And she was one hell of a flirt. Unfortunately, she's the boss's daughter. And I don't mean my boss's. I mean my boss's boss. He goes on to explain how he had seen her hanging around the headquarters for a long time and kind of seen her grown up, but only recently had he noticed her. Yeah, she caught his eye only recently as a woman. She just turned 16. Yeah, actually, that's 100% the case. Ew. Well, in Japan, it's it's the age. Anyway, he even said to himself, like, I'm not going to do this. I have a wife. I have things good. I don't want to go through with this. That's what they all say. Slowly breaking down. Down more and more until one night of absolute passion or or lust whatever well yeah but as he says a single night of passion was all it took to take my career down but it wasn't just in one big hullabaloo or a gunshot like you might expect it was a slow absolute tear of everything i had worked so hard for my entire life yeah i can see a yakuza member saying hullabaloo <laughs> whatever we then see the so-called big heist go underway, and we actually see more of it than we did in the movie. Like, we actually see the moving parts of it, and it goes off, as you'd expect, really well. Everyone's congratulating each other, and they even have a small party of, like, yay, we did it! Like, this made us a fuck ton of money. 
the boss's boss, who by this point we already know and whose daughter he fucked, pulls the main character aside and is like, confides in him, like someone messed with my daughter. I don't know who, but we're going to figure out who. I got you, boss. Yeah, we'll literally. find him. Yeah, he's like, oh, yes, yes, sir. I, I, I will we'll never. find that rat fuck, son I of a bitch. I don't know who defiled your daughter, but we'll definitely bring him down. Uh, but I bet he was handsome. <laughs> what the fuck? The main character then obliges, and over the next while, we see a semi-crackdown with the main character kind of leading the charge against a variety of Yakuza members who clearly had nothing to do with it as they're tortured, beaten, and then killed. What a con! Yeah. The boss, the big boss, this is also to be stated, not the, the, the big boss. Like, he's not the yeah, one he's at the just high... the father yeah, like above if... the one that our lead works for. Yeah, exactly. Like, let's say he's three rungs down the ladder. Still so. worth mentioning. Exactly. So, yeah. And he's slowly losing his sanity. Like, th- the fact he has yet to figure out who actually did it, by this point, almost doesn't matter because now he's just on a witch hunt. The main character even has two very close calls and he gets very freaked out by them, obviously. He then goes home and ends up talking with his wife for a while about something we only get like little bits and pieces about, but they're discussing something very serious and they're worried about something. We then cut and they're now sitting in the office of the detective talking about protective custody. Oh, okay. They basically have the same conversation that they did in the movie where they're like, what kind of things can we expect? Like, is our family going to be okay? The only real major difference is that we have an almost no from the wife when she is told she can't see her family at all. More so than in the movie because she's been very close to their family this whole time. I'd also argue we have a much, well, I don't know about happier, but this couple has eroded a lot less than Henry and his wife in yeah. the movie. One night of passion doesn't equal family falling apart. Because that has been good fellows, like, holy yeah, fuck well, are they dysfunctional? Yeah, so there's a lot more back and forth. This scene takes a lot longer to get through because there's a lot more like pieces they need to work out, but eventually... Her name is her name is Karen. I just wanted to throw that out there. I didn't want to just say Henry's wife. Oh, so she's a Karen. Ew. She's way better than that. Eventually, after all the hemming and hawing is over, he decides he's going to give up his boss and all of his cohorts. And now we cut. We're now in court. We obviously are going through the motions now. He points to who is in charge of the organization. He points out all of the people that were working for him. And, you know, a whole police crackdown. We then see, imagine overlaying newspapers where, you know, the picture where you'd see someone getting arrested, except it's a video. Yeah. So in that style, um, we see overlapping newspapers of everyone being brought down. Not all the way up to the very top because he can only point out so many people. Yeah. But we see up a lot to of... the father of the chick he banged. Exactly. So we see a lot of people, including his partner, who has been his friend for a long time, being brought down, put in cuffs, and brought into jail. Finish all that, and we now show him sitting on the porch of a small rural Japanese house somewhere in the Japanese lowlands, narrating to himself again. He says that after everything that has happened, even after the boss tried to kill him and his family multiple times, he still can't help but feel bad for what he's done because these guys were his family these guys were his friends they raised him they brought him up so what he's done will always feel dirty to him but he did what he had to do to protect his family said it's the most dishonorable thing a yakuza could possibly do i've made peace with my decision there's no turning back now i'm gonna live my life as law-abiding as possible so that uh i don't draw any more attention to my family so that my son and as the wife walks right past the window carrying another child and my daughter can live and grow up normally the main character sips some tea that was right next to him he sits down wind blows by ruffles his hair and we see a gun slowly lower from behind him right to the back of his head and we cut no click no bang we just cut and that's the end called it yeah yeah you did 
Um, Postscript? Uh, let me think. So you remember, I think I mentioned it to you, Eric. I don't think I mentioned it on mic, but remember how swanky and swag the theme from Phantom of Requiem yes. was? Yeah. You did mention it on mic. Oh, okay. It, it's very similar to that. It's that kind of really cool swag that our main character- Jazzy music. Yes, exactly. And that's very pervasive. Whenever he's doing something cool, he always has that theme playing lightly in the background. And I assume, what's this called? Yakuza fellas. Okay, so as far as the title goes, I really hem and hawed about what I wanted to call it because the easy answer is the samurai because Yakuza always consider themselves to be modern day samurai. Which is horseshit, but whatever. Regardless of whether it's right or not, that's what they consider themselves to be and it's a very important theme in this. But it's very, it's not a good title. Not really. And it also really confusing if someone would be like, oh yeah, I just watched Samurai. What's it about? Oh yeah, Yakuza. Not not feudal Japan. So it's still called Goodfellas because I can argue that they probably Probably mention it once in a while, like in their own way, they are the good fellas. But I, I'm I would surprised. have called it samurai, the samurai. Otherwise, fair. I, I honestly expected you to think of some Japanese translation, like a Japanese words that meant something similar. But I mean, that's fine. I'll, I'll take it. I'll yeah. take a not translation. All right. Anything else? No. Definitive. <laughs> All right. Simple enough. Martin Scorsese meets Japan, and not for the movie Silence. So. For good fellas in Japan this time with Yakuza. Sure. Hoorah. I'll take your word for it. Yeah. You, you might like silence. It's kind of boring and slow, but it's historical. So I like it's historical. a period piece. Yeah. Anyway, anything else for today? Not that I can think of. Sweet. So I'm Eric. I'm Jared. Thank you for listening to our little live story. And have a wonderful day. Ready to go see Knives Out? Yes, I am.